Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, good morning, beloved. Hello, dear family. How are you doing? I pray that you're doing well. I always pray that. And we're never doing well because of circumstances. Good ones, bad ones, mediocre ones, uh, tragic ones. We're never, that's never the basis for how we do. If we are walking with God, He is our basis. And we can have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, and trust whether they are um, legitimate or illegitimate or they should be or they shouldn't be or whose fault they are, it doesn't matter because nothing touches us. I say it so often that God does not permit. And so God has either sent this circumstance to us or allowed it. And um, in either case, I do believe it's a chastisement. And when we have such a chastisement, it's on the whole people. It doesn't just hit those who may have brought it on, um, those who have committed abortions, uh, those who uh, belong to the the whole gender confusion um, uh, drama, whatever that is, um, those who are lukewarm Catholics, those who have turned away from the faith, those who are living in mortal sin, uh, us who may take our faith for granted, who grow apathetic, who grow lukewarm, it, it, a thousand things. And it's on the people. You may say, well, I haven't done anything. Well, that may be true, but uh, maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe that's part of the problem. But um, you know that we haven't really lived our faith, really reached out uh, to to spread the gospel when we have the only news that the world needs for their salvation. So um, I think we've earned this. And, and the other thing I think, beloved, is that uh, it's just what I think. Yes, what I think, um, that we need to be careful of thinking, uh, of walking in anger these days or being depressed um i think we need to trust that god has a purpose in this for every single one of us to live our faith more to uh, appreciate it more to study and learn it more i've mentioned before that when i came into the church three generations were lost to the faith catholics do not know their faith and you know um, what I have thought to do. Last night, from the book of Easter stories that I have, let's see, it's published by Plow, P-L-O-U-G-H, um, Plow Publishing House. It's really a beautiful, wonderful authors. And I read a story last night about a donkey. And I'm going to read it to you today. And what I thought was, I'm going to cheer us up a little bit, and the whole of Easter week, every single day, is first-class feast. Every single day this week, I'm going to read you a story because I love it. I actually read it here in our Priory last night, and the sisters love it. So um, 
it's it's um it's really beautiful and i'm not going to go read the whole stories from scripture but um um it 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 really begins with a kind of a take and it it's for children too so if you have a family gather them around so they can hear this it's really wonderful um the story of Balaam's ass, Balaam's donkey is the first one. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Balaam was supposed to be a prophet uh, in favor of Israel. And he turned against Israel and he's prophesying against Israel. And he has a donkey. And all of a sudden, the donkey stops dead in his tracks. And Balaam can't push him, can't pull him, can't move him. He shouts at him. He argues with him. He takes a stick and he whips him. And the donkey says to Balaam, why are you whipping me? And Balaam says, because you're not moving. And the donkey said, well, have I ever disobeyed you before? And Balaam's arguing with him. And the donkey's talking to him. And, and Balaam keeps arguing with him. And the donkey is trying to tell Balaam he's, he's on the wrong track. But I, I think that's hysterical. Because I'm talking to, I am talking Balaam, Balaam. You're talking to a donkey. <laughs> Don't you realize your donkey is talking, Balaam? The donkey is talking, and you're arguing with him. You're not startled that a donkey is talking. You're just arguing with him. What did I do? What is your problem? You know, it's, it's so hysterical to me. So that's a donkey who I really love. And then all through the Old Testament into the New Testament, the New Testament pretty much ends with a different donkey and his foal and his baby. And it is that our Lord, um, prior to Palm Sunday, told his disciples to go into town and he'll find a foal, a donkey and his foal, his baby, and he is to uh, bring them to him. And if the owner comes out and says, what are you doing taking my donkeys? They're to say the Lord has need of them. And that's it. And that's how he rode into Jerusalem, on the foal of an ass, on the foal of a donkey which was prophesied by Zechariah in the Old Testament. Everything is being fulfilled. So the beginning and the end, those are the stories. And um, this, the scripture references are here, but I'm not going to read the scriptures for time's sake. Um, hold on. Let's see, get my little light. This little light of mine. Yeah, I'm going to read it to you. And it's it's a little longer than yesterday's story, so I'm going to try to read it before the half-hour break, try to finish it. If not, we may take two or three minutes into the uh, portion after the break. It's too wonderful. I love this. Um, okay. And the title is How Donkeys Got the Spirit of Contradiction. The story, I'm skipping the whole introduction because to get into the story, to have more time. This, a story about saving children and the courage it takes to go against social conventions and expectations. This is just perfect. And it says, until the birth of Jesus, donkeys were like anyone else. Now, picture reading this to children. This is too cute. That is, they're just like human beings. I mean, just like grown-up human beings, not like children. Children have always had the spirit of contradiction, but donkeys used to be docile, just like grown-ups today, sure. <laughs> Here is how things changed. In Bethlehem, 
at the entrance of the town lived a Samaritan. Now remember, Samaritan was a half-Jew who the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with. He was a good man. He tried as much as possible to help people forget he was a Samaritan. Oh, poor one. He thought, spoke, and dressed just like everyone else. He was a conformist. Everyone respects social conventions. Each of us likes to welcome our guests into clean, well-decorated homes. Our Samaritan, who was single and whose house was in disarray, preferred to receive no one. There was one exception. If his best friend warned him way ahead of time, he would allow him to come into his house. It's the only way he would receive anyone. I personally do understand that. When I lived as a single, I would understand that. Everyone belongs to a clique. We trust the members of our families and our intimate friends. We like to do them favors. But of strangers, everyone has distrust. We don't know whom we're dealing with. So thought our Samaritan also. Everyone is scared of traveling alone in deserted areas in the evening when roads are especially dangerous. One hears so many terrible reports, so many stories about bandits. Our Samaritan, who was a peddler by trade, was always on the road. But just like everyone, he had common sense and he managed not to be delayed. So our Samaritan was almost like everyone. He did own a donkey and not everyone could boast about owning such a donkey. Why the big fuss, you will say, about owning a donkey? Well, first of all, this donkey was indispensable. It was used as a truck, since in those days, trucks had four legs instead of four wheels, as they do today. I could laugh through this whole thing. I just think this is so adorable. The, the donkey carried heavy merchandise for the Samaritan. It carried the Samaritan's whole wealth. Second, this donkey was a female, a very important fact for the rest of the story. Third, one reason the Samaritan was so original was that his donkey was not like everyone. It had the spirit of contradiction. Was the donkey, this female donkey, a descendant of Balaam's female donkey in the Old Testament? I just find that hysterical. I don't know how many hundreds of years it would be. But he had the spirit of contradiction, so he was a descendant of Balaam's donkey. I just think this is adorable. Maybe, in any case, while other donkeys obeyed, this donkey was a thinking donkey. <laughs> and its thoughts resulted in the most unexpected, the strangest consequences. I'll tell you what those exceptions were when we come back. Oh, this is one day I don't want to hear the music for the break. It came too soon. Um, we'll be back after the break. Beloved, don't go away. And after the half hour, uh, we might take another couple of minutes to finish the story, but we will take your calls, your texts, and your emails. I'll give you the toll-free number ahead. It's one 511 5483 or call in. Rather, you can call in there with anything on your heart or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Alive, I'm so thrilled to be with you. We are right in the middle of a story about a donkey, um, a donkey with a spirit of contradiction, and we want to know where he got that spirit of do- contradiction. And the owner of the donkey is a, a Samaritan man, and uh, this is not a normal donkey, uh, but uh, the story says he's a thinking donkey. Um, and um, And he was a female donkey. Okay, now... Here is the last sentence we read was, in any case, while other donkeys obeyed, this donkey was a thinking donkey, and its thoughts resulted in the most unexpected, the strangest consequences. Sometimes, in the middle of the road, the donkey came to a dead stop, smelling something with its gray muzzle. It resisted so firmly that neither blows nor shouts could force it to walk any further. See, that's just like Balaam's donkey. He's a descendant of Balaam's donkey. Oftentimes, the donkey did just the opposite. It took off at a trot. Its nostrils opened to the wind and nothing could stop it. Neither the calls nor the angry objections of its master. Had a special smell or a light on the horizon attracted it, then the donkey would come back much later, having satisfied its taste for adventure. 
Everyone felt sorry for the poor Samaritan for owning such a donkey. He who wanted desperately to look like everyone else suffered severely to stand out so noticeably. Ridiculous confrontations occurred so often between him and the donkey. This is hysterical to me. Ridiculous confrontations occurred so often between him and his donkey that in faraway villages, he was simply known as the man with the donkey. People talked endlessly about his adventures. But the most humiliating factor was when the donkey opposed him and everyone else, the stupid animal ended up being right. <clears throat> Just like Balaam's donkey was right. Okay. Um, um, and this uh, section deals with how the donkey revolted against rules of social conventions. Very late one evening, a man and a woman came to the door of the Samaritan. It was on the eve of the census ordered by Governor Quirinius. Can you take us in, they asked. We come far away, from far away, and are very tired. Impossible, growled the, growled the Samaritan, thinking of his messy room. Go elsewhere. There are hotels. There are rich people with better lodging than I have. We just came from the village, answered the travelers, and we looked, knocked on every door. Everything is full. Would you have a place in your barn? We could sleep on the hay, if this is sounding familiar, you're right. I don't have a barn. I keep my hay in haystacks. I have only a stable. Oh, put us in the stable, begged the woman. I cannot take one more step. It's too little. Both of you would not fit in, mumbled the peddler, lighting a torch to prove his point. The stable was indeed very small and quite miserable. There was just enough room for the donkey that turned its head and stared at the flickering light of the torch with its big eyeballs. You see, said the owner, it's impossible. If you only put a bale of straw under the manger, manger, we could manage, suggested the woman. Giving in to her persistence rather than to pity, the Samaritan accepted her idea. He untied the donkey to make it go out. For once, it would spend the night under the stars. But the animal decided otherwise and launched a most ridiculous scene of stubbornness. Well planted on its four legs, eyes protruding, nostrils dilated, it refused to move. The Samaritan was furious. One really shouldn't let people sleep under the muzzle of an animal. It's not correct. He kept jerking hard on the halter, swearing at the stupid animal, but knowing its habits, he knew ahead of time he would not make the donkey budge. Nothing doing, he said after a while, shrugging his shoulders. Leave it there, said Mary with a smile. We'll get along fine with it. They got along so well, in fact, that the donkey became the quiet and patient witness to the birth of Jesus. Joseph put the newborn child in the manger above Mary. This way, the breath of the dozing animal kept the child warm. Its big body also kept the stable warm, so that the child and its mother did not suffer any more from the cold. When he opened the door the next morning, 
the bewildered Sumerian discovered that the two travelers of the previous evening had become three. It is lucky the donkey refused to get out, said he to Joseph. The frost was so deep last night that without her in the stable, the newborn child would have certainly died from the cold. Once more, he murmured on his way home, it is the donkey who was right and not me. (laughs) And this little section is titled, How the Donkey Taught Its Master About Helping Strangers. Ten days later, Mary was up and nearly back to her normal health. Joseph was thinking about returning to Nazareth when during the night he was divinely warned of the threat hanging over the child's head. They must flee, he was told. Before morning came, they must go to Egypt. He woke Mary, but soon realized that she wasn't yet strong enough to take such a long trip on foot. Joseph knocked on the door of the Samaritan. Lend me your donkey for one month, said he, or for six weeks at the most. We must flee to Egypt, and my wife is still weary. Don't even dream of it, answered the Samaritan. I need my donkey to make a living, and also, I don't know you. How do I know you would bring it back? I promise, said Joseph, you can count on me. No way, said the Samaritan. Can I trust the word of a stranger? The answer is no. Very worried, the new parents and their baby started out before dawn. Joseph walked ahead, making the trail. Mary followed, stumbling sometimes as she carried the child. But what was the galloping sound they heard from far away? Were Herod's soldiers pursuing them already? No, it was the donkey who soon caught up with them, sniffing them in the night with his muzzle with his wet muzzle. Um, Possessed by one of its wild whims, the donkey gnawed at its tie, escaped from the stable, and left on its night adventure. Awakened by the noise... Hold on one moment. (coughs) Excuse me. Sneezes never come in one. Okay, here we go. Awakened by the noise, the Samaritan went out, calling his animal back without success. It followed those strangers, he exclaimed furiously. Well, I have to resign myself to the loss. Ah, cursed be that animal. What will become of me without it to work? So week, six weeks later, Herod had died, and the Samaritan looked up to see Joseph walking toward him. Mary sat on the donkey, holding the child. Your animal saved us, said Joseph. Without it, my wife could not have gone very far. The king's soldiers would have discovered us and killed the child. I was wrong again. And the peddler said to himself, full of gratefulness, there are some honest, there are some honest people, even among strangers. One must learn to trust them. It's God's way. Isn't this beautiful? I don't know if you're very impressed with this story, but I love it. I truly love it. It's a, what, what, what one might call a historical novel, this one. It's based on true facts, but it's, it's a novel. It's fiction, but based on true facts. And I know you're following those true facts. And the next section is titled, How the Donkey Taught Its Master Courage. <clears throat> Several years went by. 
conflicts between the donkey and its master became less frequent. Not that the ant, listen to this, not that the animal had become more reasonable. Instead, its master had little by little fallen into the habit of obeying the donkey. Is this, I think this is hysterical. Its lunacy seemed wiser than the man's good sense. <laughs> One evening, and contrary to his habit, the Samaritan was delayed between Jerusalem and Jericho. His trip almost turned into tragedy. He had heard about a band of robbers operating in that area, demanding money from travelers, that is, if they didn't kill them outright. It was nightfall. The Samaritan spurred his animal on, exciting it as much as possible. Often he thought he heard soft steps behind him. Suddenly, the animal started one of his caprices and refused to advance any further. First, the peddler pulled on the bridle. Then, overtaken by fear, he turned nasty. He tore the flesh in the donkey's mouth, oh, by jerking um, a bit roughly. Nothing changed the donkey's mind. Discouraged, he stopped and started thinking. He was thinking of fleeing, of abandoning the animal and his precious cargo. When the, in the silence, he heard a moan. He was not superstitious, but the noise in the darkness filled him with terror. Once more he tried to drag the animal along, but with its muzzle on the ground, its arched back, and obstinately dug its hoofs into the ground. The moaning became a long wail. The Samaritan thought he detected a call coming from the ravine below the road. He thought to himself, What if the donkey is right once more? Mastering his fear, he walked down along the boulders and found an injured man who would die if he got no help. Using oil and wine, he dressed the wounds of this unfortunate man, hoisted him up on his donkey, and immediately took him to the nearest inn. He watched over him through the night. Whenever he saw him weaken, he poured a cordial between his clenched teeth to give him strength. The next morning, the wounded man felt better. Convinced that the donkey had shown him what God wanted, the Samaritan pulled out nearly all of the cash he had, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. If you spend more than that, I'll pay you on my way back. Although the innkeeper had no donkey to advise him, he trusted the Samaritans. Isn't that a riot? I love this story. Listen to that sentence again. Although the innkeeper had no donkey to advise him, he trusted the Samaritan. Next section, and it's the last section. Um, but I think we're going to go a little bit through the break with this one. It's so beautiful. How the donkey found what it was looking for. There's the music. Oh, dear. I'm going to read this last section, beloved, when we come back, because otherwise we'll have to continue tomorrow, and that will not do. We cannot leave this story hanging. It's so great. So, okay, we'll come back right after the break, and then I will take your calls and your emails with whatever's on your heart, dear ones. God bless you, and we'll be back just in a couple of minutes. Don't go away.
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. And um, we are going to be taking your calls, your emails, and your text. But first, we're going to finish the story about a fantastic donkey. If you want to describe him, if you understand Balaam in the Old Testament, uh, he is a descendant of Balaam, which makes him a miraculous donkey with his own mind. He's just fantastic. And so we are now at the end of the story. Um, Donkey is the um, property, so to speak, of a Samaritan man who uh, gets very angry at the donkey. He's angry at society. He's angry at everybody. Uh, But the donkey keeps doing uh, what should be done. Um, And the Samaritan keeps fighting against him until he realized the donkey is always right. And so the end of this, the last section, is how the donkey found what it was looking for. This is really beautiful. Thirty years went by. The Samaritan had left Bethlehem and moved to Bethpage by the gates of Jerusalem. It was better location for his business. Now, you're going to know the story of this donkey. It's the same donkey, but you're going to recognize this from the gospel. But again, this is sort of a historical narrative. It is fiction, but it's based on truth. 
But the donkey was still alive. As 30 years went by and the donkey was still alive. Donkeys live long, sometimes for 35 years. But this one's legs had become shaky and its flank had lost, flanks had lost their luster and their fullness. Yet it was still the same courageous animal, only a little less original. In its mysterious animal consciousness, it had always looked for something, expected something. That's why it had not been like everyone, docile like those who do not look for anything. Now death was approaching, and the donkey had not found what it was looking for, neither in the tufts of grass nor on the distant horizon. The donkey found some compensation, however. She had given birth to a little donkey, a shaggy and petulant foal, F-O-A-L, of which she was most proud. The foal was already strong and would soon be ready to work. The mother donkey had begun dreaming something like this. He'll be the one to find what I always looked for. Old people console themselves with comforting thoughts, hoping their children will someday accomplish what they haven't done themselves. And those children, when they grow old, will nurture the same dream. So it is with each generation. Hold on just a moment. Whoops, what did I do? Hold on just a moment. I've got to do something here. On my end, on your end, I think is okay. Elijah, am I okay on your end? Okay, great. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. So sorry. Got it. Okay. One day, here we go. One day, the donkey and its foal were tethered in front of their master's dwelling in Bethpage. Two men appeared, put their hands on the bridles and appeared to be about to take the animals away. The Samaritan made a big racket. Flying out of his room, he yelled to the passers-by, thief, thief, the Lord needs them, the two strangers kept repeating. The Lord, the Lord, and who is the Lord, shouted the indignant peddler. Those animals are mine, and who are you? I don't know you. We'll return them to you, said the two men, who did look honest. You can count on us. The Samaritan was about ready to end the discussion with his usual answer, no. The answer is no. When a faint memory came back to him of a man and a woman and his refusal to lend them his donkey long ago, they were strangers, and everyone would have done the same. You can't trust anybody. But then the donkey had run away, and it had been right in the end. Pull the donkey by the bridle, he told the men. It doesn't know you. If it obeys you, well, then we'll see. The man who held the donkey pulled, and the docile animal followed him, while its little foal trotted alongside. When they were a short distance away, the peddler shouted to the disciples, Take it to your Lord. This animal is always right. And without worrying anymore, he went into his house. As the prophet predicted, it was at the Bethpage gate that Jesus saw the donkey and its foal coming toward him. The story is in Matthew chapter 21. Along the roadside, he picked a bunch of fragrant grass and offered it to the old donkey. The donkey smelled it longingly with its gray muzzle. This was exactly what it had always looked for, 
a hundred times through the years. It had trotted on this very same path, and he had hastily gazed this kind of gra- grazed this kind of grass. But today, the grass held a new fragrance and flavor. In their confused minds, as you know, animals see God less clearly than we do. <clears throat> They see God through their masters. This time, from the hand of the true master, the donkey received the nourishment it had always hoped to find. Jesus straddled the young donkey, which had never before been ridden, the crowd spreading clothing under its steps, and the old donkey followed behind, trampling it with his hooves. A multitude of disciples waved palm branches, crying out, Blessed be the kingdom in which is coming, the kingdom of David, our father. When the procession reached the slope of the Mount of Olives, the donkey noticed the white wall of Jerusalem. Through the years, the donkey had traveled this path countless times, setting its eyes on the spectacle with the indifference common to animals. But today... These brilliant walls shining on the horizon seem to be the sides of a stable written with a capital S, capital S-T-A-B-L-E, with a stable which it had always dreamed about and looked for. We have one paragraph left to the story. I'm, I'm in chills. I love this story. The donkey raised its head and walked ahead more bravely, yet... There was even more for the animal than the satisfaction carried by the fragrant grass and the vision of that stable. On that morning, the old donkey also experienced the noblest of joys. It found itself in the middle of a large crowd, acclaiming a king, and it had become the servant of this prince, who it believed was truly noble and truly good. The old donkey's soul felt overwhelmed with joy. True, the, the creator had assigned the animal to the humblest of duties, but it saw its little donkey assigned to a place of honor. Until death came, the old donkey would happily remain in last place following the steps of its own offspring. So why do you think donkeys have the spirit of contradiction? Because the young donkey inherited his mother's temperament, and later on he married and had lots of children. (laughs) I don't know if you love it. Maybe you think I'm strange, but I just think that is utterly, utterly, utterly beautiful. Simplicity is beautiful, and it's for us who are grown-up children. May we never stop being children. Okay, beloved, I know I've taken a few minutes of your time, and now we're going to go right to our our questions. Okay. Hold on. Now, I I promised someone yesterday who wrote it anonymously that I would take their, his or her email first. I read it yesterday and gave you a source, uh, catholic.com, 
um, and I said I would go back to it today. Uh, Dear Mother Miriam, what do Catholics believe about the rapture? My husband is a non-Catholic Christian. His family and him really think that we're currently in the end times. Well, they might be right and seem um, quite excited about it. The reason being is that they believe they will be raptured out of the hard times and will not have to suffer here on earth. My husband himself just told me the other day that I should pay attention and decide if I want to suffer here on earth alone without him or be in heaven with him. Now, this is not a mean man, beloved. This is um, uh, evangelical um, uh, doctrine of... um, um, Uh, three, four different views on the millennial. Let me me not take time for that. This greatly saddened me, but my husband said it with a loving and concerned heart because that's what he's always been taught. Also, I do not want to be afraid. You should not be afraid. But I find myself becoming a little worried about caring for my toddler and my soon-to-be-here baby. Don't be worried, beloved. Don't be worried. God is in control. If you are a faithful Catholic... If you're a Catholic in name, you need to be worried. If you're a faithful Catholic going to the sacraments, at least confession, and now when you can't go to Mass, making spiritual communions, confessing your sins at home, you have nothing to fear. She says, also, I do not want to be afraid if I find myself becoming a little worried about caring for my toddler. I just read that. I'm sorry. I've been so exhausted from my first trimester and have been carrying much guilt about not spending enough time in prayer. Don't do that. Study, prayer study or being able to focus as I've just been consumed with nausea all day and still trying to manage completely, completing daily daily duties. God made you a mother, not a juggler. God does not want you to juggle all those things. You are heroic right now. And and what God has given you that does consume you, beloved, is to raise that baby in your womb in addition to your toddler. That baby is draining you, taking um, everything from you uh, in order to become fully grown, uh, not to become a baby, not to become a person. Uh, that little one already is a person at the moment of conception, but needs to grow to fullness and needs everything you've got uh, for to feed its growth. So uh, you are doing all. Take away your guilt. You need to be guilty about having guilt. Don't be guilty. Um, you're caring for a baby and a toddler and a husband and a home. And if you can pray... Uh, I, I think the most beautiful sight I ever saw was a mother praying, uh, of course, a mother that had already given birth, praying the rosary on the baby's toes while she breastfed that baby. I just, it's the most gorgeous picture. So may you take your little toddler and uh, read him a prayer for children or read him a story. Uh, everything you do, offer to God, and you'll be a walking prayer. Don't worry about any of that. Okay, and um, and she says, thank you, God bless you. I referred you yesterday to Catholic.com. Let me quickly read something from Catholic.com. And it's there's several articles there. This one's by Carlo Broussard answering the rapture challenge. Let me just read a little bit. The cate- our catechism, our Catholic catechism teaches that the church 
must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. And such a persecution will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. This religious deception will be that of the Antichrist. But some Protestants believe that the Bible teaches otherwise, that Christians will not experience the persecution of the Antichrist, but will be snatched up by the Lord prior to it. This is a doctrine known as the pre-tribulation rapture. That's what I believed for 18 years as an evangelical, and that is what your husband believes. He believes in a seven-year period, the first three in the half years um, is pre-tribulation. The next three and a half years will be the time of the Antichrist, and the rapture will occur um, for the believers before that time, so they will not experience it. Uh, That is not correct, and that's what your husband believes. And the passage they appeal to is 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I will read this to you as soon as we come back from the break, beloved. Don't go away. This is important because we are looking at signs of the end times. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. This is Rick Paolini and Father Jacek Mazur. Join us every Sunday morning. We'll be delving into the diary of St. Maria Faustina and discussing the topics important in your life. Whether you're wrestling with willpower or praying for patience, God uses the diary to speak to your struggles. So tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu ufam tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. Hi, this is Terry Barber from The Terry and Jesse Show. Every week we bring you the gospel with clarity and charity. We want you to know Jesus and his bride, the church. If you have any questions about the faith or what is happening in the church, be sure to tune in each week. We love it when you join the conversation at 888-526-2158. It's The Terry and Jesse Show, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, heard around the world on the iCatholic radio app. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. <clears throat> 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, and um, you're welcome to call in. Our lines are open if you wish. We've got 10 minutes, plenty of time for you to make a call. Uh, At the moment, I'm going to continue with the one email of a woman, a Catholic woman, uh, with a toddler and, and pregnant with her second child, and her husband is not Catholic and a Protestant who believes in a pre-tribulation rapture theology, and that is to say that um, believers will be caught up in the air with Christ and will not experience uh, the tribulation, uh, will not experience the coming of Antichrist, all of that, and it's it's really a huge division in their home. Um, and so uh, I just read what the Catholic Catechism said, and that also, um, incorrectly, the passage they appealed to is First Thessalonians chapter 4, which says, For this we declare, Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive who are left shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, Christians in general, Catholics certainly believe in the second coming. If this talked about a coming of Christ in between the first, a temporary coming, it, it, to me, it would mean that he comes three times. And uh, the, the writer here, uh, Keith says, Protestants who adhere to this view argue that Paul cannot be talking about the second coming because Jesus only comes part way down and then goes back up. That doesn't make sense. Moreover, because no judgment of the nations is mentioned, like we see in Matthew 25 and Revelation 20, this must be referring, he thinks, to a rapture. Um, But uh, there's so much here. I'm going to read the first points of three points. Um, The challenge misreads the text as only a partial coming and return back to heaven. Verse 15 of uh, Thessalonians reads that the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command. But nowhere does Paul say that Jesus returns to heaven. If Jesus' descent is definitive, it's not a partial coming as the pre-tribulation view uh, requires it to be. And beloved, I'm just going to say to you to go to catholic.com because I won't have time to read this whole thing. A second way to meet this challenge is to point out how the details of the passage reveal that Paul is talking about the final coming of Jesus at the end of time. Okay. And he explains that. And then a, um, um, okay. Um, And again, he says another reason is Paul is talking about a second reason why we know Paul is talking about the end of time is because when he speaks about the coming of our Lord in his second epistle to the Thessalonians, he says that the Antichrist and his reign of evil must preceded i'm going to quote this concerning the coming from second Thessalonians chapter two. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our assembling to meet him, we beg you, brethren, not to be quickly shaken in mind or excited to the effect 
that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by his appearing and his coming. So the Antichrist must come first. And... um, uh, here's a final clue for his, its being this being the final day of judgment is the fact that the Lord will descend with the sound of the trumpet of God. Verse four, uh, 16 of chapter 4. Paul speaks of the same trumpet when he describes the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. Um, okay, uh, so contrary to what Protestants, some Protestants believe, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 does not refer to a pre-tribulation rapture, which again your husband believes, and I used to believe. Rather, it refers to Christ's second and glorious coming at the end of time when the dead will be raised and reign with Christ forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Now again, go to catholic.com for much more explanation and other articles that will be of help There's a wonderful Catholic book. I think it's called The End of the World. And it was St. Therese of Lisieux's favorite book, she said. It's a wonderful book. And that is truly what our Lord gave as uh, the understanding of all the events that will take place um, from now till the end of the world. It's very well studied. It's wonderful. It's the Catholic view. So it's the true view. It's what the scriptural view Okay, dear one, we have an email from someone who writes anonymously and says, Mother, why did you change your position on the churches being closed down? You called for bishops to keep them open, and then you seemed to flip-flop. What was it that made you change your mind? That's a, um, a certainly a good question. Um, uh, I begged bishops to, um, I begged everyone to beg their bishop to keep the churches open, but then I also heard from uh, a bishop who uh, asked me otherwise, and I am going to be obedient. So that's number one. Um, secondly, I listened to, um, I've spoken directly with priests who have said uh, that they really believe that they will be endangering their people if they come, if they keep the churches open. Well, um, that's a sadness for me because um, the faithful would not choose that. And again, the faithful who choose could always come. Um, um, I listened to uh, Dan Burke, who um, uh, has a new apostle, Apostles of the Way, and uh, Avila, Avila Institute and spiritualdirection.com. He's been the president of EWTN News. It's just a fantastic man. And his wife had a podcast when Dan got out of the hospital. I had asked all of you to pray for him. He was on a, a ventilator or a respirator, however it's called, and um, truly was fighting for his life. Uh, as serious as one could get. Dan believed he would die and would not come out of there. And he does believe it's by all of our prayers that God spared him and he's out. He's extremely weak, but he is uh, on his way to health. And he does not question the churches being closed because he he just caught it in an airport on the way home, he says. But um, 
he said it's so bad, uh, it, it's, it spread so easily that he did not make a statement against the churches being closed. Uh, it, it almost sounded like he would make that decision himself if he had to. And I don't want to put words in Dan's mouth, but, but that Dan is a very faithful, uh, courageous person. And for him to have taken that view after what he suffered, his wife also got the virus, not as seriously. Um, but then reading of Archbishop Vigano and Cardinal Burke and, um, and Bishop Athanasius Snyder and others saying that um, it's just straight wrong for the churches to have been closed. It's against, I read a whole canon law site and others, it's against canon law for that to, have been, for that to be done, to deprive the faithful from the sacraments. Um, uh, better them to go into eternal life with the sacraments than to not, uh, than to live longer on earth without them. There are there are bishops refusing baptism. There are bishops refusing confession. To me, beloved, it's unthinkable. But you asked why I flip flop. Those are my reasons, and especially, I am not going to disobey a bishop directly. So that is my. Uh, reason and um, God knows God knows that this is a confusing time and will honor our obedience.